We all owe them, but very few of us know them. They are the men and women of our military and first responder communities. And these are their stories. American Warrior Radio is on the air. Welcome to American Warrior Radio, ladies and gentlemen. This is your host, Ben Bueller Garcia. You know, one of the advantages of being a radio host is that on occasion, I get to do a show that might be a little bit out of our normal lane. Today is going to be one of those, but I know you're going to enjoy it. The first suppressor was invented in 1902 by Hiram Percy Maxim, the son of the famous machine gun inventor. That technology was then later used to develop car mufflers. Now, I grew up out in the country mostly. I got my first rifle at the age of 11. A shotgun soon followed and um, spent a lot of time dove and quail hunting. And I tell you, in high school, me and my buddies would be up in the mountains almost every weekend shooting. Back then, we didn't think very much about hearing protection. And for most of my adult life, I've suffered from tinnitus. I still shoot regularly. Of course, I use hearing protection, but I've been thinking of taking the next step. Now, there's a lot of misconceptions about suppressors. Some of you may call them silencers. The foremost is probably whether civilians can own one. I have a lot of questions. So our friends at Black Rifle Coffee said, hey, there's one suppressor expert you need to talk to, a pharmacist. Yeah, more on that later. Welcome to American Warrior Radio. Brandon Maddox, the founder and CEO of Silencer Central. Hey, thanks so much for having me. So, Brandon... It's a pleasure, and I'm going to, I hope you don't mind, I'm going to geek out quite a bit here, which I'm, I guess you're probably used to doing interviews, and I want to get to some of the most common misconceptions about suppressors, but first of all, it seems a perfectly natural path for someone to go from being a pharmacist to a suppressor magnate. Yeah, absolutely, of course, right? <laughs> How did that happen? Yeah, good question. You know, basically, I grew up in the southeast, and my wife is from South Dakota, so when I moved here, I started shooting prairie dogs. And what I realized is they eventually catch on. I hear them blast and they have a tendency to go in the hole. So I came up with the idea of getting a suppressor so that I could shoot more prairie dogs. And I found the process to be very painful and decided to get my own license so that I could really just get them for myself. And then it kind of expanded from there. And how many units would you say you push out the door on an annual basis? You know, around 100,000. Wow. I want to introduce this by, and like I said, just based on my personal experience and, and doing my show prep, I saw your interview with the Black Rifle Coffee guys, and pretty much they said anybody who fires a weapon with a suppressor will never, never go back, and I think that's part of your, your pitch point. But, like, you know, I, I've shot my whole life, and I consider myself reasonably educated. Well, on your website, you list the top seven misconceptions about suppressors, and I want to go through that. A, we don't call them silencers, right? They don't actually silence the weapon. True. You know, it's interesting because people say, well, why is our name Silencer Central? What we found, though, is that's the number one word that someone searches online before they buy their first one. And then after they get it, then they call the suppressor. But uh, just for, like, you know, people searching it. And then, you know, the guy you mentioned in the beginning who created them, he patented underneath the word silencer. And then the ATF that regulates us, by law, they call it a silencer. So, but I agree, it doesn't silent the sound, it it just suppresses it. So, when I'm watching The Matrix and they're, they're just, they're whisper quiet, that's, you're telling me Hollywood is not telling me the whole truth? Yeah, 100%. It's obviously going to be hearing safe. The hard part is sometimes indoors it can be louder, so that's why you could tell, you know, movie is clearly fake. Potentially if it was a, a subsonic round, but in most cases, you're right, yeah, it's uh, it, Hollywood is not correct. So even even suppressed, it's just indoors. That makes sense. Just the acoustics are going to make it, no matter what you're shooting, louder in, in, in a car or in a, in a room. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's why you see them getting very popular in law enforcement. A lot of times they're in closed spaces where it just amplifies the sound worse. So to be able to put a suppressor on there to mitigate that is a huge benefit to them. What about the question of who can own one? I know just doing a little bit of research back in the early days, it was not a problem. And then suppressors got sort of a bad reputation. They're like just something that only bad guys and assassins used. And the rules changed. But now, pretty much as I understand it, Brandon, if you live in 42 states in the United States, you can legally own a suppressor. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's essentially it's the same background check as if you bought a regular firearm. The ATF, when they have the FBI do the background check, it's the same. So if you can buy a firearm, you can buy a suppressor. But you're right. There's eight states where they're um, unlawful per state law. So federal law, they're fine everywhere, but then eight states have you know, put a state law where you can't own them. So that, you know, that, that's the only sort of parameter. But there's a little bit of paperwork, but that's kind of where we come in to streamline and sort of take ownership of that paperwork process so it's simplest for the customer. But, yeah, in simplest terms, if you can buy a firearm, and, you know, you can legally own and possess a firearm, and you live in a state where they're legal, which is 42 states, then, yeah, you're fine. And just for my listeners on the other affiliates out there, sorry, folks, if you're listening in in California, you're the only folks where I have a broadcast that cannot own a suppressor, but uh, maybe we'll see some some changes down the line for that. So it's not illegal. Well, you make it sound awfully simple, Brandon, and frankly, that's one thing I love about your company is you do make it very simple for people to acquire suppressors. But there's a scene from Band of Brothers, Brandon, where they're walking through the field and and a a private takes his bayonet. And the sergeant says, well, you're not going to be able to shoot as straight with that thing on. And one of the other things you hear that's not accurate, I would guess, is suppressors actually reduce the efficacy of the weapon as far as velocity and some other things. True or not true? Uh, Good question. So if you play video games, it will show that it slows it down. But, um, you know, my favorite story is I had a farmer, and he said, if you can convince me it doesn't slow down velocity, I'm going to buy 10 of them. And this is when I first started, and I was like, well, get your chronograph up. And it's it always, I've never seen a test where it doesn't speed up the velocity. It's almost like having a longer barrel on there. It's not a lot. You know, it could be worth from 10 to 30 feet per second, but essentially it's going to speed up your velocity. Um, typically, you see better accuracy, and people are like, well, accuracy is a measurement of repeatability, and it just basically tightens your groups. And one of one of the reasons is just having a little bit of extra weight on the end of the barrel. Again, almost the same idea of a bull barrel, just to sort of stabilize it. And then some people also attribute that to less recoil. So if you're not as worried about flinching out the sound of the shot, you're not as worried about the recoil as much. Hopefully you're able to focus more on your target. And, you know, that's something that uh, I tell you, my wife is a better shot than I am. I, I, I don't mind confessing that. Most women, most women are. I've learned that the hard way as well. <laughs> but she she hates the noise. And um, I was that's what I was thinking of all these things. It would be great to get her to get you know get some rounds and get some repetitions in if she's not jumping so much from the sound of the weapon. So something like this would, would be effective. That That's one of the benefits for your average civilian out there of, of using a suppressed weapon, among among the many, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's also, um, you know, the sound mitigation is always, you know, sort of the biggest thing people think about. Um, but also, you know, typically when you're shooting, even if it's just target shooting, you're going to have people around there with you. And to be able to continue to communicate and, you know, sort of function, and also just from a safety perspective where you can, tell people what you're up to, what you're doing, um, you know, there's some benefits there. But, yeah, and the recoils are huge as well. Typically what you see people do is they might end up using a larger caliber than they normally would have used because they were basing the caliber more on the recoil than they were on what they needed for that application. Okay. And you, you can suppress any weapon? 
anything but a revolver. So if you have a revolver, unfortunately, you know, that's not going to work. Um, but I would say handguns, you typically have to replace the barrel that has threads on the end. So that's the only sort of modification you have to make. Rifles, if it's not threaded, um, pretty much every rifle can be threaded. Or if it comes with threads on it, or if it has a muzzle brake on there, or a flash hider now, typically those will spin off and the suppressor will fit the same threads. Now, Brandon, I've seen movies where the bad guy had a suppressed revolver. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, is that because, exactly. is that because it's a, it's a uh, it's not the technical term, but it's, it's an open system? Yep, that's the best way to think of it. Exactly. So the gas just expands outside the, the chamber there. So, yeah, it, that's why you can't. There's one, and I can't think of any of them. There's one revolver for Gaunt or something that actually you can, but the rest you can't. So I always just say, yeah, wheel guns are off the table, unfortunately. Okay, well, I watch a lot of maybe too many movies. <laughs> uh, we're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, I want to talk more about the misconception and just share with people because I I was somewhat dubious, I will say, uh, when the Black Rifle Coffee guys first called and said, you know, you need to talk to this guy. But as I did more research, um, I really see, I mean, I was raised where every weapon is just a tool. And I see this as a way of making that tool work better. And actually, um, there's some reasons why it might help, particularly our friends in the law enforcement community as well. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your host, Ben Bueller Garcia, here on American Warrior Radio. Don't forget, you can find over 500 podcasts at AmericanWarriorRadio.com. If you support what we do and you'd like to help us expand our footprint, check out Patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, forward slash American Warrior Radio. You can help us build our program and get some really cool American Warrior Radio swag in the process. Stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome back to American Warrior Radio, ladies and gentlemen. This is your host, Ben Bueller-Garcia. We're talking with Brandon Maddox. Brandon is the founder and CEO of Silencer Central. You can check that out, silencercentral.com. Check out their line of products. Uh, sort of a roundabout way of getting into the business. He started off as a pharmacist, got his MBA, and now he's uh, in the Inc. 5000 producing. He said you're about 100,000 units you're selling out the door every year, Brandon. Uh, let's get. I want to go through the the rest of the misconceptions if you don't know, because I, I enjoyed that. Uh, folks, if you visit silencercentral.com, Brandon's got a really cool blog up there with some of this stuff. Hunting. You you had mentioned yes. that it's good for. And from what I see, a lot of your clients are not guys like me. They're they're farmers. They're ranchers. And there's a practical reason for that. If you're out there and you've got a group of coyotes, if you're using a suppressed weapon it's going to be easier to, to take down more of them than, you know, once they hear that report from the first shot, they're going to scatter. So a lot of your clients are, are ranchers and farmers. This is a practical tool they just use. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we started in South Dakota. You know, I would say when I first started, I worked gun shows, and most of the customers that we had were farm and hunters, specifically coyote hunters. The problem that we helped them solve is, the analogy I would use is, if you call in three coyotes, you know, how many of those do you want to shoot? The answer is always four. So if you shoot at one, the others are going to scatter off. So the ability to be able to shoot, it's interesting because when you shoot at a coyote, even if you miss, sometimes it'll go over their back and they'll hear it land behind them and they'll think the bullet came from behind them because it's that quiet and they'll start running towards you. So there's some really good benefits just from, um, you know, like predator hunting, varmint hunting. They don't hear the loud percussion of the farm going off, so they don't know where it came from. So it almost creates this uh, standstill of, gosh, where did I come from? I don't know which direction to run in. And they kind of stay in place. 
I just I want to be very clear, folks. Brandon is a nice guy. He and I both love all God's furry little creatures, but in certain areas, varmints are a threat to people's way of making a living. Hunting, is it legal to use a suppressor when you're hunting? Good question. So earlier we said silencer suppressors are legal in 42 states. 41 of those 42 you can hunt in. So the only state you can hunt in where they're illegal is Connecticut. And once you've got the, the suppressor on your weapon, you don't have to tell anybody, well, I guess not. You get your hunting permit, you should go and hunt, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, it's good to go. And, you know, you talked about, like, uh, varmats. You're right. A lot of times they're killing, you know, chickens and things like that, the coyotes. So that's a, a benefit to the rancher. And even, you know, when they're calving, sometimes the coyotes will attack the calves. So, yeah, there's some huge benefits there. And even for, you know, in the south and other parts of the Midwest, a lot of people are doing white-tailed deer hunting and in the western part, mule deer. So you can really use it for all types of applications. You know, it's funny. In my my flagship station here in southern Arizona, we had, it's obviously illegal to to discharge a weapon within the city limits, but uh, the state legislature passed a law where it's, it is legal if you're using it to, to shoot a varmint in the city limits. So oh, we, interesting. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah interesting. I mean, we also have a rule here where it's legal to buy fireworks, but it's illegal to set them off. So don't, don't get me started on, on government there. Um, I want to talk about this a little bit more about the benefits. I mentioned my wife and, and how it's it's easier, uh, it's better for not only you, but the people around you if you're firing this weapon. But for people, you know, I mentioned my story with the tinnitus. And if I'm a law enforcement officer who has to get a lot of repetitions and just to stay proficient on my weapon, right. th- that is something where if they had a, a suppressor, what would your recommendation be? I mean, I would still recommend people use hearing protection, but Ideally, if it's a suppressed weapon, it's safe? You know, it's a good question. Um, you know, sometimes it determines on barrel length. So if the longer the barrel, typically the quieter they are. So if you have a 10.5-inch barrel, it could be louder than if you have, like, say, a 16-inch barrel. Um, also, it'd be based on, like, the interesting part of the Dakotas is being in a prairie, the sound really carries. There's, like, no echo because there's not a whole lot of trees for it to bounce off of. So in an open area, if you were shooting outside and you were shooting, like, an AR-15-type application, in most cases, you're going to be 100% fine where you don't have to use hearing protection. But, you know, there's some rare cases if you're under an overhang or you're shooting a shorter barreled uh, application or if you're, you know, doing a lot of, um, you know, semi-automatic fire where you're continuing to shoot, you know, continuously. It, Like you said, you could put hearing plugs in. You know, typically in a hunting environment, they're using longer barrels that are, you know, 18, 20, 22 inches. And in those applications, typically you don't have to wear any hearing protection because in a bolt action, it's forcing all the gas that go out through the silencer or suppressor at the end. Whereas the problem with an AR is sometimes you're getting that gas out the side and get some noise as the action's opening up. But in most cases, it's going to be hearing safe. And in most cases, it's going to be quieter than if you put a set of earplugs in, believe it or not, like far as reduction in the the decibel sound. And then, folks, by the way, if you're going to go shoot at a gun range, just because your weapon is suppressed doesn't mean the guy in the lane next to you is suppressed. So, yes, still still wear your hearing protection, please. Good point, 100%. Yeah. We, one of the, and the interview I saw with the Black Rifle guys, and I think both of those fellows that interviewed you were certainly veterans, maybe special, special forces. One of the things that he mentioned I really thought was fascinating is he talks about how a suppressor takes the scare, I use the quotation figures here, takes the scary away. If Particularly if you're in a home defense situation and you're inside your house. A 45 caliber weapon is going to be pretty darn noisy. And I've had people tell me, well, if, if you're actually in one of those situations, you're not going to hear anything because there's, I guess, certain psychological things that take over. But that's also a good idea for home protection because you're not, you're not making your wife death or your, you know, your kids if you have to engage. 
Yeah, good point. And it, and it is so much louder intensity indoors. And I, like I said, that's why I'm seeing more and more law enforcement agencies calling about outfitting their entire, you know, SWAT team that's doing SWAT activities just so that if they are indoors, they don't have to worry about someone having to retire early because they did get such, um, you know, severe hearing damage. So, yeah, it's a huge benefit. And you're right. I do see people buy suppressors for, you know, firing they would keep on their nightstand just in case they did have to let off around that they don't have to worry about, you know, definitely everyone in the room. How long does a suppressor last? Is it is it going to last as long as my rifle barrel, which is almost forever? Yeah, so think of it as, um, you know, nothing touches. So the, the hole through the middle of the suppressor is bigger than the bullet, so nothing's touching. Typically, the most wear is going to be on that first baffle. And pretty much, you know, it's silencer essential. Almost everything that we sell as a dealer or as a manufacturer has a warranty forever. So if something went wrong, you would just replace it. But the only thing I could see ever going wrong might be the first baffle. And a lot of times you'll see stronger materials used in the first baffle, like a heat-treated stainless steel or a titanium or an Enconel, something that, you know, is prepared and ready to handle that, you know, initial blasting. So you don't you don't really see a whole lot of wear, which is nice. Even in rimfire, where sometimes you might, some manufacturers use aluminum. We typically like to use titanium, but um, even with aluminum, you don't see as much wear as you would think with a rimfire, just because there's really nothing touching. The bullet's just going straight through. Where are your suppressors being manufactured? Do they do them? You're doing them right there at your facility in South Dakota, or are you contracting out? Yeah, you know, we, we do a lot of them in Sturgis, South Dakota, so that was our first location, and then we get some done in other states, too. So it's that's all U.S. based. There's really like three locations that we have them made in now, but you know they'll make them to our specs and then they send them to us. But also we are you know one of the largest dealers, not only you know as far as a manufacturer, but also a dealer of other people's products. So if someone looks at our website and says, "Wow, I don't see what I need or I want something else," they just call us because we're as one of the largest dealers in the nation. We're able to source you know any product you want, so we can sell anyone's you know suppressors. Brad, when we come back, I'd like to talk more about the technology behind this and just, like I said, kind of geek out because I'm, I'm learning so much from talking to you. And also, I'd like to go back and sort of walk through your process of building your business because, I mean, just starting a small business is hard enough, but then when you talk about all the regulatory requirements and uh, when the ATF has you on speed dial, that's not uh, a normal business. Ladies and gentlemen, there's your host, Ben Bueller Garcia. We're talking with Brandon Maddox, the CEO of Silencer Central. You can learn more at silencercentral.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to American Warrior Radio, ladies and gentlemen. This is your host, Ben Bueller-Garcia. We're talking with Brandon Maddox, who is the CEO and founder of Silencer Central. They're based out of South Dakota, but they do ship and provide their products to 40, 42 states. Right, Brandon? Yes, sir. You got it. Tell, let's, tell me a little bit about just because, I, I mean, I go in and I buy a weapon, and things have changed since the last weapon I bought, where I guess, you know, so much of it is online now. But, you know, you've got to, you know, give a pint of blood and your fingerprints and then, you know, your firstborn child or whatever it is in order to just buy a weapon normally, much less silent suppressors are more highly regulated. I mean, do they fall in that same category as fully automatic weapons and, and a tank? Yes, they do treat a silencer slash suppressor the same as they would, you know, a machine gun, a fully automatic weapon. The best way I've come up with to describe buying a suppressor is, 
in simplest terms, it's a title transfer. It's very analogous to if you go buy a truck. So if you go buy a truck, then the dealership asks the state to retitle that VIN number to you. The only difference is, of course, if you buy a truck, if you pay for it, you can leave with it, whereas a silencer, you can't. The dealer has to, you know, hold on to it. But in simplest terms, we're sending the ATF the information, the transfer, the seal number of the product you bought, to transfer that seal number to you. The feds charge a one-time $200 fee per silencer to uh, do that, very analogous to buying the truck. You got to pay the, you know, the state to do the title transfer. And then they send us an approval after they do a background check on that actual person. So they're going to check to make sure that person can legally own and possess a farm. And that's just a simple background check, same one you would do to buy a farm. And once they approve that, then they send us an approval, and then that's when we can mail it to the customer. Now, the way that works is we're actually physically licensed. We have stores in all 42 states where silencers are legal. So if you live in Arizona, you would do the paperwork in South Dakota on the front end, and then once it's approved, we would do it on the back end in Arizona, and it would ship to your front door from our Arizona location. So you would have to leave your house at all. We would just ship it directly to you. So you start off in South Dakota, and then you've expanded. Yep. I just can't imagine the paperwork involved with that. Did you physically have to visit all 42 states and chat with your local friendly ATF agent in each of those states? And I mean, I, I assume federal rules are standardized across state lines, but the state rules may not be. We started out basically being almost like a regional business. So we would work events in South Dakota, and then you would have people at bordering states come to you and want to bother you at, say, events. And it became easier just to start getting our license and putting locations in all the states that bordered South Dakota. We did that for quite a while. We just drilled to all the different events, you know, farm shows, gun shows, sports and shows, and basically would do all the paperwork for the customers at the show. Then, yeah, as we started working bigger shows, really the biggest show we had in South Dakota that sort of made us expand the business model was Pheasant Fest. And when it came here, we had, you know, 40,000 people at the event, and they're from all over the country. So the business model starts falling apart if you don't have a license in Texas, in Georgia, and, you know, Washington State and Oregon. So what we did is gradually just continue to add states so that we would be in a good position as we worked these bigger shows. And when I got up to 21 states, I got a free invitation to Washington, D.C. to sit out at ATF for them to kind of vet me from our processes for them to, in some point, say, yeah, this isn't required, but now this is a new mandate for you. Basically, they told me if you don't implement these changes we want, even though they're not required, we're not going to issue you the, you know, the next 21 licenses you have pending. So I didn't have much choice, but um, but you're right. I, yeah. And one of the requirements was I had to meet with the ATF at every location, which made sense. I mean, I had employees there. They wanted me physically there. Since I started the business model and I knew it, and I could explain it to the ATF, because in simplest terms, they said the law and the statutes that I was using on mailing a silencer or a firearm to someone's front door, 99.999% of their staff had never heard of it or were not familiar with, even though it was in regulations. It's just not something that's standard or being utilized. So I did take that opportunity to meet with ATF at every location, kind of educate them on our process, honestly get them comfortable, try to build some rapport so they see that, you know, we're not up to some nefarious activity. We're following the rules. And one of the requirements before they'll issue you a federal firearms license is they'll check and make sure that federal law and state law, you'll be compliant as you're, you know, operating in the business terms that you plan to. So they do vet that as well. Yeah, we worked with either you know, state agencies that had questions and, you know, local, any kind of local authorities at a state level. And the reality is a lot of states don't regulate silencers. It's just not on their radar screen. So, like, in South Dakota, I had one stolen a fun show, and he was able to catch the person who did it. 
And it was difficult to press charges because the South Dakota assignment was not considered armed. So the only charge that they could charge is kind of, you know, the value of the suppressor. Of course, he sold the cheapest one we had. So it just, you know, it's interesting. But no, I agree. When I went through pharmacy school, I had to pass the state law exam so I could prove that I understood the laws at the state level, but then also the federal level. And typically they can conflict. Very same situation with suppressors and firearms. You're going to have state laws in some states that would differ at a federal law. And you have to obviously take whichever one's most stringent. So Having been able to sort of function and manage a business at both levels helps. The building that we're in now here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, a 60,000 square foot building. My first job when I moved to South Dakota, I worked here and it was a mailer pharmacy. And we had a very analogous business model where we mailed, you know, 50,000 prescriptions per day to every state in the union. And I had to have a pharmacist in this building licensed in that state. And then typically we had to have this pharmacy licensed as if it was doing business in the state. So really two licenses. And of course, we had to still comply with federal. So that's what kind of what gave me the idea when I first moved to South Dakota, you know, 20 years ago, working in this environment that, gosh, wouldn't this be great to you know, put into other areas where maybe it hasn't been incorporated currently. Aha. Uh-huh. I knew there was a connection between pharmacy and silencers. No, 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 totally. And I, <laughs> you know, it's funny. People will make jokes that guys are not as detail-oriented. And, but I feel like maybe the pharmacy training forced me to be so detail-oriented, you know, right prescription, right right patient, right doctor, right medication, the bottle, everything matching up. Just having that due diligence is really what you need for the paperwork with the ATF. Because if you don't send it to them correctly, they'll reject it. And sometimes if you're waiting six or seven months to get it, it gets rejected and you got to start over. So, you know, we're proud to say we have like a 0.07% error rate. It's almost you know, close to zero. And customers love that. They know that if we do the paperwork, we're going to do it right. If we don't, we stand behind it. We give them a $200 refund on that tax stamp that comes out of our pocket if we do something wrong, just to let them know that, hey, that that wasn't our goal. We pay for our mistake. And it forces me to make sure my internal folks are executing on the promise we make to our customer. Because if they don't, there's a dollar figure tied directly to it. We lose 200 bucks for every screw up they do. So easy for us to manage internally. It sounds, my words, not Brandon's folks, but you know, that initial meeting with the ATF where they said, okay, here's the rules, but we're going to require you to do, I mean, it almost sounds like a meeting with the organized crime, but again, you yeah, don't totally, it felt like it. So it was, I felt like I was totally misled. I mean, I, I read into the email, hey, we'd like to be media. They just said not required. And, he, you know, the guy who emailed me insinuated, I've read it a million times, but he insinuated it was him and his boss. I show up, there's, you know, 40 people in the room and there's 10 people on the conference call all over the country. And they had to turn the heat turned up, so it was, uh, it, was it was it was tough. But how's how's your relationship now? Oh, it's excellent. I mean, I think that you know, I would say in most cases, my philosophy as a business owner, CEO, is I, I don't I don't want to. I always say my dad went to Auburn, so I like to wear orange, but I don't like to wear full orange. And so no jumpsuits. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no jumpsuits. So a lot of times we ask the ATF, hey, you know, here's what we want to do. Uh, help us try to get to a path to that. And unfortunately, sometimes they'll say, you can't do that. And we say, well, our competitors are doing it and they don't care. But once you ask and they say you can't do it, then you can't. But there's a lot of times we sit down with them and say, hey, here's where we want to get. We want to make it simpler for the customer and easier for you to inspect us. And it will enhance public safety. And that, that's all the hot buttons for them. So a lot of times they'll sit down with us and we'll come up with a way Typically with technology, I mean, most of the farm's laws are written in 68 or 34. It's so old, there was no fax machines, there was no computers, there wasn't the technology there. So a lot of times we have to walk them through, hey, could we define this more broadly where 
you know, this book could mean a digital book and will allow us to do everything digitally. And we've converted really 100% of our process to all digital just so that it could be scalable. So we could do a thousand applications an hour, which is where we need to be to handle our volume, especially during our busiest times of the year. And I don't think we could have gotten there if we hadn't had a good relationship with the ATF to ask them, hey, can we have permission to do this? Because we, what we don't want is for them to come shut us down for doing something wrong and potentially negatively impact us, our employees, or our customers. So we just really have to have a good relationship and we typically need them face to face three times a year at least. And you need to have a good lawyer. Yeah, absolutely. No, totally, for sure. Yes, totally. Yeah. And you got to have, you know, sometimes you got to have a set of colonies. I mean, there's some risk where, you know, you don't know if they're bluffing or if they're going to come after you. You just say, hey, no, we, we, we appreciate you asking us to do it this way. Unless you can show us the statute requiring it, we're going to have a hard time justifying it because it's a big expense and it's not, you know, win-win for us and our customer. And, you know, sometimes they let it go and Sometimes they'll push back, and it's kind of just getting sort of a temperature check on where we're at to make sure that we're not doing anything wrong, and also not rolling over and agreeing to everything they ask us to do. Brandon, I still think this sounds a little bit too easy. When we come back, I'd like you to actually walk me through the process, because, I mean, you've got me sold on the product already, but uh, I want to figure out how we can get it done. Ladies and gentlemen, these are your host, Ben Buehler-Garcia. We're speaking of Brandon Maddox. Check out silencercentral.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to American Warrior Radio, ladies and gentlemen. This is your host, Ben Buehler-Garcia, having a really intriguing talk with Brandon Mannix. He's the founder and CEO of Silencer Central. I just said I want to learn more about this, so I decided to kind of color outside the lines here on American Warrior Radio today. I hope you're enjoying and learning as much as I am. Brandon, like I said, it almost sounds too easy, and I know that's part of your mission as far as taking care of your customers, but... Walk me through the process here so I've got a real, and my listeners have got a real genuine grasp of what happened. So I visit silencercentral.com and I find the product that I want. And uh, what happens, how does this process actually work? Yeah, good question. So there's several ways you can buy. You know, we work about 200 events a year, so people sometimes see us at an event. So that's one option. You know, some people pick up the phone. They want to talk to someone and make sure that somebody answers the phone. And, you know, always advocate for that because our research after the fact shows that the people that had a point of contact, they could call anytime. They could text 24-7. can help them feel like they had someone holding their hand. They like that. Or, as you mentioned, you can buy it online. But let's say, for instance, you bought it online. So... If you picked out which suppressor you wanted, then basically it's going to send to you a form that's going to get some data entry on you. So we give every one of our customers a free gun trust. And the benefit of the gun trust is the silencer will transfer the title of ownership from us, the dealer, to the trust that we create for you. And then once all this is approved, you can add other people to the trust. They can then use the suppressor even if you're not there. So if you had a friend that wanted to go use that to raise when you're not there, you could just put them on your trust. The other benefit to the trust is that you can also pick who gets it when you pass away. So there's no paperwork for you or your spouse, you know, once you leave this earth. So the trust and all these things require a little bit of information. Of course, the ATF's going to want to do a background check through the FBI. So we'll send you a form, a secure form, where you enter your information in that we need to create this paperwork. Once you hit submit and send that, our computers are going to generate the forms you need to fill out for us for the feds. It'll send those to you via DocuSign, so you're just going to sign those. We're going to send you two fingerprint cards, and we're going to send you ink, and we're going to send you a video on how to fingerprint yourself. And I know it sounds hard, but it's super simple. You basically just ink in your finger and roll them on these cards. You send them back to us, these cards, and the prepaid postage envelope. 
we scan those fingerprints into our system. Now, at this point, we're going to have all the forms we need, fingerprints in the system. We're going to have issued a serial number when we generate that paperwork. So once all the paperwork's done, Silencer Central sends that up to the ATF in their eForms portal. And once that comes back approved to us, we're going to then email you a 4473, which is the same form you fill out when you buy a firearm. You can do it via DocuSign as well. Once we get that, in the background, we're mailing that suppressor from you know, South Dakota to Arizona, and then our store in Arizona will mail it from Arizona to your front door. So it's really all automated. I mean, the, the beautiful thing about our process is it's sort of on autopilot. Like once you buy, you're going to get a monthly email from us telling you kind of what the current wait times are, what we're seeing with the ATF, how long it's going to take them to process. We're going to probably remind you that if your barrels aren't threaded, you might want to look at getting barrel threaded. That's the service we offer. So we're kind of staying in contact with you during this whole time. The other thing that we do is we let people pay while they wait. I know it's difficult for you know American consumers to prepay for something fully and not have it in their hand, have to wait to get it. So you know what we tell people is you can pay really much as little as you want. You know some guys will put $199 down and just pay so much a month while they're waiting for the feds to approve it. We don't charge any interest or any fees to do that. So again, in simplest terms, we're capturing all the information we need to generate the forms. You're signing all the forms, making sure it's correct. We're sending it to the ATF. It takes them a while to get to it because they're processing a million of these a year. They have like 45 employees doing it. But once they have the background check done on you and they approve the transfer of that serial number to your trust, they send us the approval. Then that's what triggers that final form, which then allows us to mail it to your front door. So, you know, in simplest terms, you fill out some information digitally. We take it from there and then we mail it to your front door. From start to finish, how lengthy is the process then? From, from when I first talked to one of your people there to this arriving at my front door? So right now, the feds are at about 210, 215 days. So, you know, we're in that six, seven-month range is what we're seeing. You know, I've seen it more, I've seen it less. I've, when I first started doing this, it took two weeks because no one was buying these, you know, 18 years ago. During the Obama administration, he changed the rules, and the process got out to like 18 months. So right now, six to seven months sounds like a lot, but I would say the average over the last 15 years has probably been nine months. So to be less than that, they're really doing a good job processing the e-forms. Of course, no one wants to wait that to, you know, wait almost seven months to have to get a firearm that they can legally own. But hopefully that's heading the right direction to become, you know, less time. So the other part of the process is that 4473 that you're filling out, you know, that you would fill out, at, say, like a gun store if you went to go pick up a firearm. We're, we're actually sending that via certified mail to your local sheriff. So, um, you know, for some reason there was a identity issue or anything like that. Most of them look at that also some of them do is extreme is running a background check on it as well, even though another background check has been done. So there's that additional, you know, sort of safety step in there to make sure that it's vetted. On the front end as well, we're sending a copy to um, the, you know, chief law enforcement officer when we submit the application to the feds. And on the back end, we're sending it to them certified mail to make sure they're actually getting it. We have to actually have proof they signed for it. So that might have been my biggest hiccup, Brandon. I don't really have a good relationship with my local sheriff, so maybe I need to work on that. Oh, no, you don't have to worry about that at all. Actually, that, you know, we just send it to them certified mail. So they don't, if they're, you know, unless they had a reason to believe that you could be lawfully armed, they wouldn't get involved. You know, it's just, it's just sort of a heads up. You know, because it, it goes back to, you know, when these laws were created, there was no national database where you could pull up and see if someone was a felon. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was more of your local sheriff would probably know if you were or you weren't. So the way the laws are written, we send it to the sheriff. And um, typically they have someone like a designatee that will review them and make sure there's no problem. So this tax stamp that I would get, that does not that's not the same tax stamp that would apply if I wanted to to get a fully automatic weapon. That's a whole different process, yeah. 
it's the same process, believe it or not, and it's the same tax stamp, but they'll issue a unique um, stamp for each one. So okay. the form that we're using to transfer the ownership is called a form four, and when they do approve it, they do put that same stamp on there. So, yeah, the machine gun is the same stamp. And you need a separate stamp for every suppressor. Exactly. And then, you know, you'll hear uh, sometimes people talk about short barrel rifles. It's the same process. Okay. You talked about destructive device. It's the same process. So, Brandon, we're, we're kind of running out of time here, but I, number one, I assume if they go to your website, silencercentral.com, the first thing to do is check to make sure you're living in a state where you can legally own a suppressor. Otherwise, the rest of the discussion is moot. Tell me a little bit about the threading, too, because a knucklehead like me, uh, you know, if I don't know. I mean, I know a couple. We've got some, some great gunsmiths here, but this is something where it's got to be right. And I can actually ship my weapon or, or at least the barrel to your your people there and yeah. then they'll put it on a lathe and get it done? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I talked earlier about we try to make the process super simple. I mean, that's why we give a free trust. You don't have to go find a lawyer. You know, that's why we let you pay all you wait. You don't have to pay all up front. We manage the paperwork for you. This was an issue that came up is people are like, I'm asking to get the suppressor because I don't know where to get my rifle actually threaded. So that's why we brought that in-house. So we will mail you an empty rifle case. Uh, you put your rifle in there, just take off your scopes, bipods, any type of accessories you would have. And this padded rifle case comes back to South Dakota. We thread it, and then we ship it right back to you. You get to keep the case. It's just a padded case, so it makes sure that, you know, nothing happens shipping to the firearm. But, yeah, we have a CNC lathe machine, so it's a computerized machine that threads it. You know, it only takes about 90 seconds to thread the end of the barrel, but it takes about 45 minutes to take it apart to put the barrel in. So we'll do all the, you know, disassembling of getting the barrel out of the firearm and putting it into the lathe, you know, so you don't have to worry about it. You know, some people will send barrels, but I'm like you. I would just send the whole gun. I don't want to, you know, get into something I can't figure out. <laughs> right. And there's there's no suppressor ferry out there, ladies and gentlemen. It, it's actually real people doing hard work. Brando, something else I learned, you've got a, a line called the Banish 30 suppressor. That same suppressor works for multiple calibers. So I don't have to buy five suppressors. I can buy one. Yeah. And that's what I, I alluded to earlier about the phone call. And, you know, the good thing about calling our folks is they're going to ask you what kind of, you know, firearms you shoot. The, you know, the people who are kind of on the fence about getting a suppressor, I think they look in their um, safe and they go, gosh, I got a lot of guns. I'm, I'm afraid it, I'm scared to get a suppressor because if I really like it, I can't afford one for every gun. But in most cases, you like you said, that Banish 30 is multi-caliber. So it's going to work in a you know, 300 Win Mag, 300 Rum, all the way down to, you know, a 22 or a 17. So that's a huge, you know, swath of rifles and firearms that you can cover with one suppressor. So most people, like you said, will start with a Banish 30, which is for a 30 caliber rifle, and then they'll use it on their 5.56, their 6.5, their 270, their 30 out 6, their 300 Win Mag. Basically, 308, these are for everything. Okay. Right, we're just about out of time. We have about 30 seconds left. I do notice that um, Silencer Central does a lot to support our law enforcement agencies out there. Uh, if there's somebody listening on one of our stations that's got a local, small local department and they could use some help, how do they reach out to you to, to talk about that? Yeah, just call Silencer Central here. Um, that's something we're very passionate about giving back. So if you have a local chapter that has a fundraiser and you want us to do a silencer, we give 100% of the proceeds of the sale of that silencer at your local chapter to your organization. So right now we're up to about two, two and a half million dollars we've given away just this year and that, and that type of activity. Outstanding. Brandon Maddox, thanks for spending some time with our listeners today. Yes, sir. Appreciate the opportunity. Don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, check it out, silencercentral.com. You can find this podcast and over 500 others at AmericanWarriorRadio.com or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. Please 
share these important messages. Until next time, all policies and procedures are to remain in place. Take care. You've been listening to American Warrior Radio. Archived episodes may be found at AmericanWarriorRadio.com or your favorite podcast platform.